Hello and welcome back once again to our daily devotional podcast. Today I want to talk about how the various ways in which we rob God of His people. Let's listen or read together the passage Matthew chapter 21 verse 33 to 46. Matthew chapter 21 verse 33 to 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he went, sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This parable was somewhat similar in uh, its um, questioning style to the parable that Nathan the prophet uh, spoke to King David after David had uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and had gotten her husband Uriah killed. It was a question, um, a rhetorical question. Now, what would you have done? And in the case of Nathan and David, David angrily answered. And then Nathan said, you are this. In this case, however, Jesus didn't even actually wait for an answer or the the, the chief priests and the teachers didn't actually wait for him to ask. They rushed in. Uh, they were so indignant because this story is so, so ridiculous. The story is ridiculous because it talks about tenants of a vineyard who, when the servants came to um, collect their rent or collect what was due to the, to, to the king, the landowner, first the tenants killed the servants. Then they killed more servants. And then the landowner says, I'll send my son to collect what is due. And listen then to what these tenants said. In verse 38, they said, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Which tenant would be so stupid to think that if they killed the 
the servants and then killed the son, the heir, they would inherit the vineyard? That's a most ridiculous rhetorical question. I mean, if you rented your house to tenants and then you sent your son to collect the rent, sure, they may be gangsters, they could kill your son out of anger, but would they then assume that when the son has died, they will inherit the place? It was so ridiculous. And so immediately the the teachers, the elders, answered, retorted in verse 41, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants, will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Obviously, obviously the landowner is not going to allow these wretched tenants to keep the land. Obviously, he would throw them out and rent it to others who would give him his dues. Such a ridiculous situation. We laugh, we, we would laugh at, at the stupidity of these tenants. And yet, it continues to happen again and again. The Pharisees, the teachers, the elders, the chief priests did it, did exactly what the tenants did. They had usurped God's authority. They had created their own rules, their own laws, their, their own pomp. They had created, elevated themselves to what, to the people whom the common people would have to bow down and worship and listen to. Of course, they didn't tell the people, you must worship me. But in the demeanor, in the structures that they built, the people had to listen to the leaders, the elders, the chief priests. It was as though they owned the religious institution of Judaism. They made the rules. They executed the rules. They enforced the rules. They lorded over the people. It was really as though they were the tenants who had become the boss. They took everything. They commanded the obedience of the people. They had usurped God's power and God's authority. Jesus gave this parable to show how stupid they were. How could they even imagine that they could usurp God's authority and God's power and the fruit God's people take them away from God? But you know, we may think then that the chief priests and the teachers of the law were bad then. They were ridiculous in assuming they could usurp God's power. And yet to our day, we continue to do the same. I think first of all about the pomp that over the centuries, Christianity or the church had built for, the, for church officials, in particular the clergy. We think of how high and mighty they elevated the clergy. That while God had in, intended for us to be servants, to care, to love the flock, we had, turned, we had turned ourselves into great leaders. We had turned ourselves into people who would collect from the poor. Each year as we go for our annual conference, I shudder, I feel very uncomfortable when we do that parade, that march in in our cloaks and our stoles and in grandeur. It gives us a feeling that we are the superior. We are the ones who hold God's splendor. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love beautiful churches. I love the way churches, beautiful, the architecture in ancient churches portray the mystery and the glory of God. But it's one thing to portray the power and the glory of God. It's another to elevate the clergy. 
It doesn't have to be the same. One day as I was on holiday in Italy, I attended, I didn't attend, I visited a beautiful church. Architecture, grand, all splendor. Along the way, I saw a man that looked like a janitor, cleaning the pews, wiping every seat. But occasionally, he would pause and go up to someone who was praying, especially one who looked distressed. He would sit in front or sit next to the person, and then you could see them chat. And after a while, he would bow, and they would pray together, and then he would move to the next place. I wondered if that was what a janitor did, and I thought to myself, that's a wonderful job of a janitor to be praying for church members. It occurred to me that this humble cleaner could well have been the pastor. I like to think that he was the senior pastor of that huge cathedral. That though the, the cathedral displayed the splendor and the grandness, greatness of God, the people who served this great and splendid God saw themselves as servants, janitors, cleaned the church, ministered to the people and loved them. It could be that way, and I wonder if that fantasy of mine could be true. But you know, it's not just in these grand churches and the European churches that have this cult of taking people, the allegiance and the admiration, the awe of people from God. We have it in our day all the time. I'm thinking of superstar pastors, churches, organizations that have become so much identified as Christianity. The people look to them that each of these superstar teachers and preachers and apologists and evangelists soon become objects of our admiration and almost of our worship. We don't say we worship them, but hey, we listen to them all the time and we believe that they have the words of God and the mysteries of God. I had dinner with a friend some time ago and this friend was gushing about a pastor and he was saying, my pastor says this, my pastor says that, this must be true, this must not be true. And I was so disturbed because it was like, hey, but nothing comes from the Bible. Your pastor says a lot of things. You see, God, the problem with us is that we often believe that we cannot understand the Bible ourselves and so we look to these superstar teachers, famous we, and now it's so much easier when everything can be done on podcasts and videos. We listen to them and we say, yes, this is what this person says and this is what that person says. We're full of admiration of them. To the point when we stop reading the Bible. We would rather listen to a podcast of a particular speaker or preacher or read a book by some great writer. And we stop reading the Bible. We stop listening to God, we stop wanting God to tell us himself what truth is. And that's a tragedy, really. Because the Bible, especially the Gospels, but the entire Bible is written to simple folk, uneducated folk. It was written to people who had deep thoughts and deep feelings, but they were not the scholars, nor the philosophers. They were ordinary people who heard God and were drawn to him. But we'd rather listen to the teachings of many others. One of the reasons why I set up this podcast, and I pray never that people would just be stuck with this podcast either, was to show my listeners, to show especially 
my members of my flock, how easy it is to read the Bible, and yet how deep the Bible is. That all of us can read it ourselves and understand the Bible, and all of us can go very deep as we read about Jesus. I wanted people to fall in love with Jesus. I was very disturbed by the many portraits, many images of Jesus that that portrayed him as a hateful, judgmental, moralistic man. It made me angry, it made me sad. And I wanted people to know that Jesus was simple. Jesus as God, as simple as simple can be. That all of us can understand him and most of all, we can all, if there's no better word for it, we can all fall in love with him. Because Jesus is the gentlest, most loving, kindest person we have ever known. And He is God. And I wanted us all to know what God is like. But you know what? I would so much that each of you, after a while, ditch this podcast and go and read the Bible yourself. The last thing I want is for to have a great following that never stops following me. In fact, I've never once checked how many listeners there are to this podcast and I pray I never will have any desire to do so because that's not the purpose. My one purpose is that as you listen to this podcast, you discover how easy it is to know God and how wonderful and how deep it is to know Jesus. Jesus can be understood and loved. Let me share with you a vision that I had years ago. I have not had many visions. I've had maybe about six or seven, I guess. But each of these visions meant a lot to me. And this vision, what had happened was, I wasn't sleeping, I was in prayer, and then, I don't know, just a vision just came. It wasn't something that I created in my mind. It was just a vision that came. It was a vision of a coffee shop. This coffee shop was in Potom Pasir, where my beloved late sister-in-law lived. She used to take care of our daughter when she was, our daughter was very young. And so we had dinners there or meals there at this coffee shop very often. And at this coffee shop were several tables that were always occupied by gangsters. I believe they were illegal money lenders because they, they were all covered with tattoos. They were rough. They each had a handphone. In those days, handphones weren't that common, but each of them had a handphone. And occasionally they would pick it up and say, yeah. Oh, and then they would hang up. Obviously, they were not talking to friends. They were probably taking bookings, gambling bookings or loans. They were loan shards probably or bookies. But this coffee shop had lots of them. But in this vision, I saw the same people occupying the same tables in this coffee shop. But they were reading sheets of paper from a stack each table, each of these, I think there were about three or four tables, and each table had a stack of papers, and everyone around that table was reading it, and when they finished reading the stack, they would carry the stack to another table, and, and then they would exchange stacks of papers. And they were very excited reading it. So I asked God in this vision, God, what on earth are they reading? And then the vision zoomed to what they were reading. They were reading the Bible. In those days, I thought it meant prison ministry. I thought it meant the prisoners. But when I think about it, I realized it was far, far more than just prison. As Jesus said in the parable that we read yesterday, 
that the prostitutes and tax collectors are coming to God at far greater rate than us who are Christians, us who are Christian leaders. I think that's so much of God's heart. It's so much of God's heart that people, the common people, the loan sharks, the pimps, the prostitutes, the common people, sinful and unsinful, each of them will so love God's word because it's so easy to read and so easy to understand. But when we who are more versed and more educated and more erudite, we usurp the place of God and we take that place of the ones who understand the word and then worse still, we make profits, huge profits out of it. Is that not really robbing God of his harvest? And though it's the responsibility lies in us who are pastors and preachers and teachers, responsibility also lies in you who are just listeners because you have given up that privilege of knowing God's word. And you spend time only reading books about God, listening to podcasts about God, watching videos about God. When the word of God is so available to you and the Holy Spirit is with you to teach you God's word, I pray for that day when each of you, not just you, but those in the coffee shops, and hawker centres, will read God's word and know that the Spirit speaks to them and know that that is the heritage. Another point then, the third point perhaps, of how we rob God, is that we have turned church worship as the end all and be all of Christian faith. In the early days in Jesus' time, the temple, yes, was the focal point, was the gathering point, but it was never the end all and be all of Christian of, of worship. It was a rallying point. What? To get people who worship God to go back out to practice mercy and justice. God's greatest hurt and God's biggest peeve was not that people were not worshipping in his temple. It was that people were not exercising justice and mercy. In fact, he said, you guys come to worship me. I hate that worship. I really, really hate that worship because you guys are not practicing justice and mercy. And in our day, we have again created a need for people to come to worship God. We come get people to come to worship God. That's good, but this is only part of it. That after worship, each of you may go out and practice justice and mercy. If you thought that Christian living was simply to come to church and worship, then you've got it all wrong. Christian worship is the gathering point where you then go out and you live a life of compassion and you live a life of justice. Sometimes the church can organize this. Sometimes we can organize an outreach where all of us gather together and do a community outreach. Sometimes we can't. And that's no reason for you not to go out and do it. Go out, join another organization that does it because our church could not provide for it and that's fine. Join an organization that reaches out to the poor. Practice generosity and compassion where you are in your neighborhoods, in your office, within the family. Teach your children 
that the meaning of life is to serve another and to be kind and compassionate to those in need. This is what Christianity is all about. These are the fruits that God desires. And justice. Justice means that you'll be just in your dealings, fair to your employees, fair to your subordinates, fair to your bosses, fair to people, to care for the rights of those who have been deprived of their rights. Just because we don't, we don't agree with them doesn't mean we deprive them of their rights, doesn't mean we hammer them on the heads. We must know the difference between what we approve of and how we behave. And I'm talking about LGBT, for example. It's while we may disagree with how they carry their lives, we must think of justice for them as well. We need to practice and live out justice and mercy. You know, Jesus then said another thing. He said, have you not heard have you not read in the scriptures, verse 42, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The stone the builders rejected. The stone, the builders rejected this stone simply because it didn't look anything like what it should be for a cornerstone. You know, a cornerstone is that it's a stone that is so strong that holds up entire building or at least holds up the whole roof and by implication the whole building itself but this stone that builders would reject is like it's not even worthy to be part of this temple or part of this building it's a useless weak looking stone what do people look for in a stone they look for something that's solid and hard huge maybe impressive maybe even well dressed in one sense i mean carved and all an impressive stone. But Jesus was saying that this stone that builders would not want because it's not impressive, it looks small, scrawny perhaps, it looks weak. Now this one is the stone that holds up the whole building. We often reject Jesus because we see him as weak. We see him as uh, lowly. I once heard a preacher say that Jesus was tall, dark and handsome. Well, Dark, for sure. Tall and handsome, I'm not sure. I mean, Jesus was Middle Eastern, so for sure he was dark. Whether he was good-looking or he was tall. Let's listen to this in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 to 3 says this, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no majesty, or beauty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Listen again, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, so he wasn't handsome. Nothing is in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Listen again, like one from whom people hide their faces, they didn't even want to look at him. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Jesus wasn't material to build a mega church. Jesus wasn't material to draw lots of people to him. 
But he was chosen by God because he had the message of God. We need to relook again at image, the image of a church that we project. Because all of these things draw people to ourselves, and to our institutions, and draws people away from God. The way of God is one of loneliness, one of humility, one of compassion, one of yielding to others, one of forgiveness, one of turning the other cheek and giving our cloak when we are robbed of our clothes. This is the way that God has chosen for himself. And we need to give God back that harvest, the harvest of lives, the allegiance, the love, the passion of people, back to God, back to Jesus. Not to ourselves, not to our churches, not to our organisations. We need to decrease and disappear and encourage people to read the Bible and to love it and to know that the Holy Spirit teaches them Himself. We could help. As a pastor, I'll continue to help my flock. But we only help with the one aim that each one will want to know God by themselves. And will want to discuss it among themselves, will want to read God's word by themselves. Let none of us be so foolish as to think that if we were to usurp God's place, that God would give us the kingdom. That's delusional. Let us pray. Father, you love humanity so much more than you could ever imagine. And so often we take glory from you, we take authority from you, we take people from you. And we stop pointing people to you. We stop generously giving people back to you. We want their allegiance to ourselves, we want their allegiance to our churches. We want them to say how popular we are in the things that we do. But Father, we really don't want to usurp your place. Because everything belongs to you, God. And we just ask then that in all that we do, we may turn faces, we can turn hearts to Jesus. And rejoice that people turn to Jesus and away from us. Because indeed, Lord, you, this is your harvest. We ask then, Lord, that you speak to each of us as leaders, as members of a church. That God always in our heart of hearts will be that our allegiance be to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do have a good day and a blessed day. And yeah, do read the Bible for yourself. In fact, after the week after um, Holy Week, after Easter, I'll stop the podcast for six weeks and I'll give you passages to read um, and encourage you to journal your thoughts and just see for yourself how actively the Holy Spirit works. I mean, I, I look forward then to you being so thrilled when you read the Word of God yourself. But of course, after that, I'm going to resume my podcast, but 
for this reason, I believe that there are others who still don't feel confident reading the Word of God. I still feel that there are people who don't know God at all. And I encourage you to freely send this podcast to people who don't know God. My hope then is that when they hear about God, they will also get excited about Jesus and fall in love with Jesus. And then, hopefully, they will wean themselves off this podcast and find Jesus themselves. But, well, that's it for today, and God bless you. Goodbye.